Hey, we were saving that. For today, I guarantee it. Who the hell are you? Hey, welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better. It's me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And we definitely have something to celebrate. Yes. Because we're finally doing one of our favorite movies. It's scary as hell. It is scary as hell. Um, So we're doing uh, Jurassic Park. 1993. Yes. I guess we're already doing our What Have We Been Drinking? (laughs) (laughs) For this episode... Uh, we decided to do because there's no other real drinking in the movie. I mean, they're pretty no time for it. They're pretty busy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, although I, I guess Ian has a flask. Ian, yeah, I didn't even think about that. What is in that flask? I guess it's got to be whiskey. But we did think about the the celebratory champagne scene in the trailer at the dig site, which um, Doctor Grant and Doctor um, Sadler are saving for something. I guess. I I mean, <laughs> what are they saving it for? I wonder. I'm not sure. Getting the raptor all the way out. Oh, yeah, that's, that makes more sense. But I think I once thought maybe he was going to, like, propose to her or something. But it probably oh. is something nerdy, like, you know, getting the raptor out. We decided to get champagne. And no, I did not get real champagne because, honestly, I don't think Publix had real champagne. You know, from the region Champagne. So mine is from Italy. It's uh, Josh Prosecco. I have nice champagne flutes, but I poured it into a regular glass like they did. Oh, that's even better, yeah. Well, yeah, but there's a reason why you're drinking out of a champagne flute, because it's got that small opening. This has a huge opening, and when I took a sip of it, like, all that the aroma and the bubbles and everything just, like, choked me. Yeah, I just have a regular wine glass, so let's see what happens. Anyway, so this is a celebratory movie. You are John Hammond. I am, of course, Ellie Sadler. Right. I'm Barge again. <laughs> I've insulted you already. And I'm going to further fund your dig for another five years. Yeah, when he said he's funding or he had been funding them for fifty thousand dollars, I mean, I know it's nineteen ninety three, but that doesn't really sound like a lot of money. <laughs> it really doesn't. Yeah. I mean, that seems like that would be one salary. Before we get back, get into the movie, we'll do what we've been watching. So, Chris, what you been watching? I guess I could say two things: uh, the Mandalorian on Disney Plus. Have y'all been watching okay. that? Uh, Brian loves it. Yes, Brian, yeah. I have not watched it. Yeah, I wasn't huge on it at first, but now I'm pretty much all in. I've kind of gotten over my snobbery about it you know this disney plus live action tv show then i realized wait a minute there's a live action star wars show every week this is fantastic <laughs> um and the second season which is what we're in now is um i think better than the first yeah, that's what brian said i don't have a lot to say about it uh, baby yoda is super cute um right. it has great great action scenes um great directors and talents robert rodriguez directed the most recent episode mm-hmm. um boba fett showed up that was cool yep um, Brian told me all that. That's so yeah. exciting. I have just nothing to contribute other than that's literally what I've been watching. But the flip side <laughs> of that is because the Mandalorian has got me curious because they, they reference a lot of stuff uh, from... Uh, the Clone Wars. The Clone Wars TV show. Brian's already doing the same thing. Okay, yeah. so I you guys really, have got to talk. Yeah, apparently, yeah. So I've never really seen it. Now I'm absolutely hooked on it. And now I get all the references. And um, there's like way more to the prequel era than I, than I knew about. And there's all these great characters. And the animation is stunning That's so I'm, awesome. up to, I'm up to season uh, like five already mm-hmm. um, wow but it's just as good as people say it is i mean it's some of the episodes are better than i'm not gonna say the movies because what does that mean exactly but it's incredible what they do on this kids tv show every now and then 
I mean, people die. Yeah, that's great. Um, the politics are interesting. There's a lot of stuff I'm sure that's you know more for adults that probably go over the kid's head. But but then they'll have an episode about Jar Jar. <laughs> so it's sometimes <laughs> it's a mixed bag. But the more deep I get into it, the fourth or fifth. Now I'm just talking to Brian. I don't know if he's in the room. <laughs> Uh, the deeper I get into it, the more the show goes on. You know, it's just like any show. It gets better and better and better. Brian Fuller tweeted the other day that the last four episodes of the show, which they just released, and it's like the show finale, um, he said it's the best Star Wars since The Empire Strikes Back. So I'm pretty excited about it. Is he involved at all or is he just a fan? No, someone just asked the question, like, what was the best Star Wars movie? And people were posting things and he said, you're all wrong. It's the last four episodes of The Clone Worlds. And I looked it up on IMDb, and the last four episodes, to your credit, I'll have like 10 stars, which is wow. or like 9.7 or something like that. And where do you watch that? The Clone they're, Wars? They're all, they're all on Disney Plus now. Oh, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Adam would love it. It's all, I mean, because there's a lot of just, half the show is just robots fighting robots. And, oh, yeah, and, that's him. So anyway, that's what I've been watching. What have you been watching, Kristen? Well, on your suggestion, which I don't remember if we cut this out of a, the podcast episode or not, so forgive me, but the movie that she recommended, which you said has a very generic name, and I can't remember it. Oh, Endless. Endless. <laughs> yeah. Which is, was on Amazon, I think? I think so. Yeah, I think it's on Amazon. And it Prime. was wonderful. Good, good, good. So good. So compelling. Just so interesting. And very had that very, like, lost sort of feel with a little bit of time moving around and it was a big surprise and then so then i started the first one resolution is that right i don't even know is it <laughs> revolution maybe or? revolution i don't know they, they have horrible names like, i know you can't remember them it's like the texarkana sundown murders you know there's the probably some critic somewhere that goes god this movie sure is endless <laughs> <laughs> But that was really cool how they tied those characters in to the second movie. But so do you recommend watching the first one or the second one first? Or do you think it matters? I don't think it matters because I didn't even know there was a first one. And I just I remember that that scene uh, was so striking at the end of Endless. And, it, it you know, it's literally like you're walking in on another movie. Mm-hmm. And I just remember when I I just Googled it after the movie and they just, you know, one of the reviews mentioned, oh, yeah, it's like a indirect sequel to and i was like what and then they mentioned that those actors at the end are the same actors and the same characters from this other movie it did so i think i watched it like that day and it was i don't think it's as good as endless but it's kind of like and it was like i think it was the guys those two guys maybe first movie yeah well i recommended it to my parents i thought they would like it i think it's almost more interesting for, to watch the second one first because when you go back and watch the first one, you're kind of more aware of kind of what world they're operating in. I had no idea where it was going to go. I didn't know if it was just a straight out like cult type movie. I didn't know if there was aliens. I didn't. I had no clue. Also, I just want to give a shout out to Grey's Anatomy. If anyone has Strange. listened to the first episode, I one of my what, what you've been watching was Grey's Anatomy, which is still one of my favorite shows. I've been watching it for 17 years. But this season... They're focusing on the pandemic, and it's really good with what they're doing. How are they uh, approaching it? Or um... They're a COVID hospital, so they get all the COVID cases ar- around Seattle. And, you know, it just the way it's presented, is, I know it's fiction, but it sounds like the articles that you read about and the testimonials from the nurses and the doctors who are saying they're overrun, they're right. running out of respirators. And they really portrayed that in the TV show, I think. And they ha- they can't be with their families. You know, they have to stay at a hotel. So they can't be able to see their families for weeks on end. And now Meredith got COVID and she's very, very, very sick. I was going to ask you actually whether she was still on the show or not. I didn't know 
who was all still on that show. Chris. I mean, that yes. show's been over 16 years. <laughs> I can't keep up. I know. I'm also back binging This Is Us. I guess I have to start. I watched the first episode that when it started, and I really enjoyed it. And I remember the whole shock oh, of the ending and all that. It's so and, good. And then I just never watched another one. Uh, Let's get into Jurassic Park. Let's move on to dinosaurs. Okay. Since we last left Steven Spielberg, it was 1975. Jaws had just come out. Yeah. Then he went on to make Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Even in this phase. Okay, let's just stipulate that he had an amazing 15-year run from 1975 to 1990. So, okay, 18 years to 93. Um, you know, the most successful director, I would guess, of all time. I mean, we're talking about... It's gotta be. Three Indiana Jones movies. Um, E.T. E. I mean, <laughs> less, what, what more can you say? That, that was... The most popular movie after Star Wars. I think it beat Star Wars, actually, for a time. It did beat Star Wars. Yeah. Well, it was funny because Star Wars beat Jaws. And when that happened, Steven Spielberg took a full-page ad ad out in the New York Times to congratulate his friend George Lucas. So cute. Yeah. And then E.T. was number one up until... What? Titanic? Jurassic Park. Oh, right, right, yeah. Okay, yeah, it's, it's a vicious circle. Well, then James Cameron did the same thing with Titanic, and uh, then yeah. Avatar, you know, knocked Titanic yeah. out. So it's basically just three guys having the, the top movies of all time. Yeah. But can you explain Avatar to me? What is happening with that movie? The first movie came out so long ago, right? Number one movie, everyone loved it. I liked it. I thought it was a beautiful spectacle. I don't remember... I remember thinking it was very much like Fern Gully, which is one of my favorite movies as a kid. They built an entire Disney area that is Pandora. And then they've had an Avatar 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 on the docket for years. I don't understand what is happening. He's just working on them. I mean, I think... What? Yeah. Uh, he, are they going to right. come out like bam, 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 yeah. bam? They're going to come out, I think, one after another. Um, so I, I think what happened was initially it was going to be like an Avatar 2 and 3. And then uh, James Cameron's a crazy person, so it became two, three, and four, then two, three, four, and five. And and I think he was waiting. I mean, why he didn't go and do other stuff, I, I don't know. But apparently there's a lot of technology that he wants to develop. I mean, he always kind of does. So I think he was waiting for maybe the technology to catch up with whatever the hell he thinks he's doing with those things. Um, and then I think they were supposed to come out like in, you know, a couple of years ago, at least the first one, or I mean, the second one. But for whatever reason, they kept getting delayed just because of his own process. But at some point, they did finally start shooting them, and then the pandemic happened. I don't think you can blame the pandemic for not no, making no. a sequel to a movie that came out in 2009. <laughs> no, but. no, but like it, they are, they're happening. I think right now, you know, he and Sigourney Weaver are underwater somewhere, and James Cameron's <laughs> right. yelling at her, and um, Kate right. Winslet's apparently in it. Uh, oh, fun! Yeah, she. Um, there's some story the other day about how she beat the underwater. Yes, she beat- record. For whatever, yeah, whatever god awful thing James Cameron's putting these actors through. Um, so yeah, they're happening. I can't, I'm curious what they are. Avatar is a strange phenomenon because you do think about that, you think back on it, and I know a lot of people say this about how it's the most successful movie ever with like the least cultural impact. You know, people kind of, I'm I'm not sure about that. I, I, I think Avatar kind of, you know, has a certain place in our culture. I mean, but, but. At the same time, it's not like anyone really ever talks about it or references it. I mean, <laughs> or, you don't really ever hear any quotes from it. I don't or know, any, I don't like know any quotes from it. Um, but at any time I watch, well, I mean, I haven't seen that movie in years, but I suspect if I, I, I mean, I, I've never watched it and like been bored or had a bad time. I, I'm going to assume that one of the quotes is, fly with me. 
Is it? Yeah, probably. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just guessing. But I'll tell you that that Pandora Land at Disney World is fucking amazing. Yeah, I heard that was really cool. And one of the best rides at Disney World now is the Avatar Flight one. You know, you actually feel like you're flying. It's 3D. I would love to ride it. My nieces wrote it and they said it was amazing. And But then after that, they were like, so is Avatar a movie? I mean, so yeah, it, right. I guess it doesn't really. It's, it's strange how it's kind of disappeared for a movie that's made like two million or billion dollars. So that was our James Cameron corner. Yeah, Although not, not quite done yet because James Cameron wanted to do Jurassic Park. Ah. Yeah. And so, and he, you know, bid on it, but he was outbid or he just didn't get there fast enough. But, you know, because this thing got snatched up before the book was even finished. Right. But there's some sort of bidding war or people just knew about it. And James Cameron was, you know, hot and heavy for it. Um, but he didn't get it. And then he said he saw the, what Spielberg did and he said, okay, that's fine. <laughs> uh, and he said he's glad that Steven Spielberg made it. He said he, he thinks he was the right person because if, if he had made it, it'd be more like aliens. <laughs> it'd be like, It'd be rated R, like, you know, the book, right. be, you know, probably better than me. I haven't read it since I was a kid, I guess. But I remember it being more violent, you know, and it's pretty, it's pretty gruesome. Yeah. So I read it about a month ago because I was wearing, I wore my Jurassic Park t-shirt today and I wore the Jurassic Park t-shirt to the pet store. And you know, there's always like weird folks who work at the pet store. Have you noticed that? Like they're always just kind of like quirky. Yeah. Well, you have to think about what's talky. brought them to live at the, work at the pet store. <laughs> They seem like they really enjoy this job. I don't know. I love them, but they're always just like the, a certain type of person at the pet store. And the guy said, oh, have you read the book Jurassic Park? And I was like, I have. And we talked for like 10 minutes about Jurassic Park. And then we ended up talking about like Congo. And I told him about Michael Crichton, one of Michael Crichton's first books, which was you know Five Patients, which went on to him to start ER. And it was really fun. So anyway, why did I say that? Oh, because I read. So then when he mentioned it, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna read the book again. And so I read it again. And I mean, it's great because it was my favorite book as a teenager right after the movie came out. You know, I read it. I probably read it like every couple years. But reading it as a full fledged adult. I mean, it's it's I mean, it's he's, dated. Not, he's not like the best writer either. He's, no, he's, he's not a, the best. He's writer. a plotter. You know, he's you know, he's he has great ideas and he has great. um and he, he would admit this if he were, you know, still alive, but, you know, he's not known for being like the, some writer you return to like a fine wine years after, you know, years later. Um, I mean, it's, it was a very distracting, especially how he described the women, especially Ellie Sattler in the book, you know, he's, she's described as 24 and with a blonde ponytail and bronze legs, Jesus Christ, if how many times he mentioned her bronze legs and about every guy that met her looked at looked her up and down you know and it was translated just like, to the movie there <laughs> she, no no they made laura dern but uh, more the same age as alan they're in a relationship um she still had the legs that's for sure that's what i was thinking about yeah there's but a lot they didn't of make her as helpless as they did in the book oh she's helpless in the book okay yeah uh, no. i mean she kind of takes control but she's not really in it much you know it's more right. of just like he just likes to describe her and the guy's checking her out but i will still say it's it's just an enjoyable book. I mean, you know, it's fun. There's dinosaurs uh, eating people. So what else could you want? I don't know. But so and I guess we should have prefaced this by telling our audience that we're going to be all over the place this episode, which yes. we already are, because, you know, this is one of our favorite movies. And Why? Because we're, we're talking about Avatar. Right. <laughs> well, but so back to our, our Spielberg conversation, um, you know, he had that great run from, you know, 75 to you know, I'm just going to cut it off at 90. Um, but at the same time, you know, he was doing all these huge blockbusters. He was, I believe, you know, 
he was kind of routinely, he was not dismissed by critics, but a lot of people did kind of pigeonhole him as this sort of popcorn director and like maybe he right. can only do like certain things. And, and you know, he, tried, he did The Color Purple, which, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that movie, I say it holds up quite well, but it definitely has, and there has some problems to it, mainly being an African-American movie told by a white director. Right, right. Um, so that was his first major attempt to do something serious. Um, a lot of people really... Uh, almost took offense to him even doing that. Not for because he was, or well, some people because he was white, but mostly because he was trying to do something serious, period. Yeah. And then he did like Empire of the Sun. But anytime he would do something like this in the 80s, um, he was kind of like put back in his place by the sort of film, film monati or whatever, whatever you want to call it. Um, so he was always sort of um, kind of pressing into that. So it's kind of interesting that in, you know, by the early 90s, when he kind of, kind of came out of the gate with this arguably just the most popcorn saturated thing you could possibly do which was you know Jurassic Park which is just no holds barred I mean I think Jurassic Park has a lot to say and we can talk about that but it's um I mean it just peaks Spielberg and it's interesting they did that right before he did do his serious movie that is still considered his masterpiece which is Schindler's List which came out the same year the same year that is insane I mean really I guess I mean he shot Jurassic Park in 92 he shot Schindler's List in I three, but still, I mean, it's within a but year. But they came out the same year. Yeah. I mean, that's that's crazy. Yeah, and he was apparently doing post-production on Jurassic Park on a set of Schindler's List, which is, <laughs> I just imagine they were, they were like in you know, <laughs> Poland or something, and you Spielberg some tent, and all he were like dinosaurs, and, you know, I'm sure Liam Neeson's like, what the hell's going on there? <laughs> um, that's quite a shift for him, too, you know, to be going from this exciting, fun dinosaur movie and then having to really shift gears into something that, because I mean, he is a Jewish man too, you know, and be shifting gears into this, this incredibly heavy work, like you said, at working on it while also making sure he got that Velociraptor attack right. Yeah, and I don't know if this is true or not, but I read that, I mean, he it doesn't even make sense because he had already helped get the rights to Jurassic Park like as early as the '90s, but. He was under some man- mandate, like, okay, you do Jurassic Park and we'll let you do Schindler. That was kind of like the deal. Although mm. he was kind of all in on Jurassic Park. So I'm sure he's like, okay, fine. <laughs> I'll do both my pet <laughs> projects. Um, but it is interesting that this movie, I would say, ends in a way his sort of what is known as the sort of the first era to me of like Spielberg sort of as the populist filmmaker. Because then after Schindler's List, everything after that, even as, you know, more popcorn blockbuster movies, have an element of like sort of seriousness to them or that's even projected on it. Like by, like these are by a filmmaker, you know, like, yeah, even like yeah. by the time I like say minority report came out, like that was taken maybe more seriously than Jurassic Park when it came out, even though, you know, they're both sci-fi action blockbusters, you know, war of the world, same thing. Well, for some reason, something my dad says often, whatever Jurassic Park comes up for some reason, he always says that Michael Crichton when he was writing the book, called Steven Spielberg and said, I just wrote something that you're going to make into a movie and we're going to make a lot of money. I don't know where he got that from, but he loves to tell that story like he was there. <laughs> cocktail parties or something? I don't know. <laughs> he does. That's one of his little uh, anecdotes that he likes that to add like to Sounds like a Johnny Hill story. I like that. I know, doesn't it? <laughs> Which, who knows? I don't know. Maybe that's true. Maybe he always wanted Steven Spielberg to do it. Maybe he'd already kind of let him in. Well, I mean, if that happened, Michael Crane was absolutely right. <laughs> Well, and later, Steven Spielberg does kind of try this again. He does The Lost World, Jurassic Park, and Amistad in the same year. Right. I mean, he's kind of trying to do two heavy things. And The Lost World, I mean, we could touch on that a bit. 
Yeah, I, I, I want to watch it before I really talk. About it. I haven't seen that movie in years and years, way before, even before the last time watching this one. And I noticed it's on Netflix. And I've seen it a few times in the last year okay. because I have a son who is obsessed with dinosaurs. And I will say that watching these movies with a young child does change them. I mean, I remember when The Lost World, the book came out and I bought it hardback the day it came out. And I remember being disappointed in it. You yeah. know, I mean, I guess I was. I think like, I did I, too. Yeah. I think I remember getting the hardback. I mean, I was still a kid. I mean, I was, when I was a teenager, but there's something about watching with a kid, you know, it changes it and it makes it not quite as serious. You don't have to think about the choices that Steven Spielberg made. You can just kind of enjoy it and watch it through their eyes. If we talk about the other movies, it, you have to take in consideration that I rewatched all these with my adorable six-year-old son. Oh, yeah. I, and I am not here to slam any of the sequels. And I haven't seen Jurassic World since it came out, and I'm curious to watch it again. I enjoyed it's the... It's terrible. Is it? Okay. I enjoyed the sequel. <laughs> I liked The Fallen Kingdom. Um, I do. Of. Well, <laughs> but the ending was so bad. I was rolling my eyes just like, Adam, are you fucking seeing this? Of course, I didn't say that. I right. said, he, he said, oh, she's like the dinosaurs, the little girl. But anyway, I love seeing the dinosaurs. And if I get to see a Mosasaurus eat a great white shark, then so be it. I will go and sit through it. One of the first times Brian and I actually bonded was when we were working at Barnes and Noble and Jurassic Park 3 was coming out. And Brian said he wanted to see it. And Amy was like, you want to go see that? And Brian said, Amy, it's dinosaurs eating people. <laughs> and, and I fell in love with him. <laughs> and we talked about maybe going to see it together that didn't happen and then we ended up getting together probably two years later but that's the essentially what those sequels are to me dinosaurs eating people just have fun with it but anyway back to the original jurassic park yeah so did you see this in the theater when it came out oh yes okay good me too um it was one of my favorite theater experiences yeah ever. i was gonna say the same thing and one that was weird is and maybe i'm just like not remembering this right but I feel like when we went and saw it, like I didn't really know what the movie was going to be, like which seems stupid. Obviously, this movie about a, you know, an amusement park with dinosaurs, then they run amok and kill people. But somehow, the marketing for the movie, I thought going in was going to be more like a sort of more gentle adventure tale, and that dinosaurs huh. would show up at some point. I, I just had no idea that it was going to be like a, a thriller. Somehow, I didn't either. I've been watching E.T. I'd watched Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I'd seen Jaws, but probably like you, I probably watched the one that was on TV. Maybe yeah. I hadn't seen the scariest parts. I don't know, but I did not know it would be that scary. I was, I would have been 11, turning 12 in December. I just remember being terrified yeah. and thinking, this is the most fun. Yeah. I just remember the um, the T-Rex, uh, and we'll obviously get into it, but the, the Jeep T-Rex scene, you know, the scene, yeah. I think yeah. that's probably... Um, hands down the most scared ever been in a movie theater you know i mean probably certainly up till then but maybe ever like i and or maybe the most suspenseful scene ever seen uh oh yes for sure it just uh i don't think anything's ever topped that and i remember the theater i remember even the feeling of it like the whole audience was like uh like electric like it was just yes nuts it's also being that age yeah. i think uh, even watching it last night because i like to pretend you know when i watch the thing you know, try and watch it as if you hadn't seen it before which is usually really hard to do but this one was a little easier because, again, I haven't seen it in five or six years. 
and just that that fucking jeep scene it's still like i mean i just get goosebumps thinking about it you know when the t-rex's head comes to the glass it does not let up after that you know that beat when they turn off the flashlight it's just so well done and so good and it goes back to that thing oh spielberg what a soft touch he has these kids almost being mutilated by a dinosaur uh, i think the scariest thing about the scene is not the kids i mean that's pretty scary but it's grant and jeff goldblum and the other vehicle not being able to do anything just watching oh. Kind of like a Jaws scene. Like you had you had said at some point, and I think I kind of just missed you, but you were like, this is kind of like a sequel to Jaws. Not a sequel. A, um... I said something pretentious. I think I called it a spiritual <laughs> sequel. <laughs> <laughs> but that does make sense. It has a lot of the same, like, what are you going to do if a T-Rex is coming after someone? There's not a lot you can do. Yeah. Also, there are the same issues, like, behind the scenes with the T-Rex trying to get it to work. Same thing with the shark trying to get it to work. And, I mean, there are a lot of similarities. Yeah, I, I think Jurassic Park probably went a little bit more smoothly than Jaws. Although they did have, they did have that hurricane, they had, they had a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. But but just that, just watching Jeff Goldblum and um, and Alan Grant, that, those scenes were just staring. And any movie now, I or any other movie by lesser hand, I think they would have the the adults immediately be heroes and rush out and I don't know beat the dinosaurs legless. I don't know what they would do. <laughs> and Grant eventually does do something, but that feels so much more realistic how they're just stuck in time watching this unbelievable thing happen before their eyes. Well, what's also great about that scene is that they, they have a little comic relief of Ian Malcolm like rubbing the fog, you know? It, get, it makes that like squeaky sound. I never saw that. It's, that's interesting that you see this comic relief. That just adds the tension to me because it makes it more realistic somehow. Oh, to me, I thought it was funny. Yeah. Like, it's like this serious, serious things coming on and you have to like, you can't see. You have to like kind of wipe. I never even thought about that. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and that sounds always funny. Wee, wee, wee. That just shows how terrifying that scene is to me. Anyway, I guess we should take a broader view. So yeah, it's Jurassic Park, 1993. I remember The Firm came out at the same time. The only reason I know that is because my parents went and saw The Firm and me and my brother went and saw Jurassic Park. <laughs> I guess later that year when it came out on VHS. Yes, kids, VHS. <laughs> I just remember it took on like a whole new life then because I remember me and my buddies, we would have sleepovers and all we do is just watch Jurassic Park. And, and I was the one that had the VHS. My parents, I guess, gave it to me for whatever. And uh, I just remember like, you go to one slumber party after another and I would bring in my Jurassic Park copy <laughs> <laughs> and like plug it in. And, oh I, my goodness. and I remember like, you know, my friend Cade, uh, he thought, we watched it like on a TV no bigger than this macbook you know like you know you do back then yeah yeah there was no letterbox it was just you know complete full screen pan and scan and even then he was like that's the best movie i've ever seen and he didn't get to see it in the theater well i'm getting adam all of them on 4k oh they're on 4k okay yeah you have to come over and we can all watch him without him so i heard a rumor that harrison ford was wanted for alan grant I saw that on uh, probably IMDb. It makes sense because he's in the Lucas Spielberg world. I can see that. He seems like that kind of laconic type. I wonder if he'd be too distracting, though. You know, like I think Sam Neill is a little more like everyman kind of guy. I don't know. I also have a real thing for Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford in 93 would have been, yeah, at a still at a distracting level of hotness. (laughs) I can see that being a problem. Brian and I started American Graffiti because it was on... HBO, and um, I went to the kitchen to grab something, and Brian yelled to me, "Young Harrison Ford's coming on!" And sorry, I had to run back in there. <laughs> I forgot he's so in. Thank that. you, Brian. So yeah, that would have been distracting because he had also just come off of you know like the third Indiana Jones, and oh my gosh, I can yes. see maybe him not you know want to do that type of thing. But back in '93, 
I had never seen Sam Neill or Laura Dern in a movie. No, I had not seen Blue Velvet yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so when I saw this movie, I was like, wow, look at these unknown actors. You know, like I had no clue who these these were well-established actors who had been acting regularly, who Laura Dern's parents are famous. Like none of this occurred yeah, to me. And then after Jurassic Park came out, I remember thinking like, oh, that's too bad. Sam Neill and Laura Dern aren't really in anything just because like they weren't in Titanic, which I, <laughs> the, was the only thing I watched. I saw two movies in the 90s. <laughs> Jurassic they Park weren't on Dawson's Creek. So I guess they, they weren't getting any work. So it's just funny to me being an adult now, looking back and be like, wow, these were like well-established Actors. I mean, I, I knew who Jeff Goldblum was because my dad had watched The Fly. I had never watched the gross parts, but I remember him being in that movie. I, be, I remember being aware of. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the only one I really knew was Jeff Goldblum. And I can't imagine from what I mean, because I wouldn't have seen The Fly. I remember same thing. I saw a bit of him like, no, that's gross. Um, <laughs> yeah. But he was the only one I thought was like the movie star. But um, it's funny that you say that about Lord Dern, because I remember and we used to joke about this back when we lived together and just how odd we thought Laura Dern's performance was and how we right. championed her and how, and now it's like, like, no, we weren't the only people that I appreciate that. Apparently she's just a great <laughs> actress. Everybody loves her. She brings something to everything she does. The I mean, way she plays this is so interesting. She's right. so soft-spoken. She's kind of like in her own world. There's a lot of times that she's just kind of like talking to nobody. It's just very <laughs> sweet. I guess we should, we could go ahead and get into it. Well, so the first scene we have is a very, exciting scene it's when the velociraptor gets the guy and we first meet Muldoon who is the the raptor king I don't know what they call him I think they call him like the ranger or something (laughs) (laughs) he's like the Owen Grady yes yeah yeah he died of cancer a few years ago did you know that yeah that's kind of sad that's too bad he's only 50 you know what made me so sad is that the the Indian actor in the lost world he died like in April oh he plays like yeah I know you're talking about who was from the life of Pi oh I love him. I think he's just so interesting and so handsome. And it's so funny is that, so we don't just watch the Jurassic Park movies here at our house. We also watch the Lego series, which I highly recommend. They're hilarious. They're really well done. And they have a lot of inside jokes. But he is one of the main actors. His character is, you know, obviously voiced by someone else. Like, so endearing and so funny. And it just makes me so sad that he passed away. But so we watch all that. There's also Camp Cretaceous, which is a new show on Netflix. Oh, yeah. It's about seen kids that. who go to Jurassic World. So don't watch The Lost World. Don't have to worry about watching a T-Rex go to San Diego. Watch uh, Camp Cretaceous. It's fun. Yeah. But see, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, like, what if the T-Rex goes to the San Francisco scene that, uh, or is it San Diego? Which one San is San Diego, it? yeah. So in my mind, like, what if that scene is actually brilliant? I'll have to watch it again. But I'm pretty sure it's probably still nonsense, there, right? It, well, it's fun to see a T-Rex walking around the city, but I watched it twice, like in the last year, and every time, it's, it's about at about two hours, right? And I'm like, wow, that's not so bad. And then I remember, holy fuck, I forgot, they still got to go to San Diego, and they have like another 30 fucking minutes. I'm sorry, I'm cursing now, because I'm... Getting up, worked up. <laughs> it's just not needed. When they could have stopped the movie and maybe salvaged a little bit of dignity, but Spielberg was like, go big or go home. We're taking this dino to the streets. <laughs> we haven't even made out the first scene yet. We <laughs> <laughs> find the Lego Star Wars, the end of the, end of the second movie. I mean, <laughs> this is uh, a mess. Yeah. But no, okay. I, that first scene, well, um, I never thought about it, but watching it last night, I realized, oh, so he's, he's trying to sort of trick you a little bit because when you see, uh, you know, it opens with a shot of the trees and... Uh, and you see like the sort of 
guys with their machine guns waiting. You don't quite know what the setting is. Presumably something called Jurassic Park. <laughs> um, but what you think is going to emerge to the trees is like, you know, a dinosaur, you know, because... Or a smoke monster. Or a smoke monster, yeah. But it's interesting the thing that emerges to the tree. I mean, it, it is a dinosaur, but it actually ends up being like, you know, a machine, like a man-made right. machine, which is kind of like, I think, kind of fun, you know, foreshadowing that like this movie is kind of ultimately about like the evils of technology. And that's the most pretentious I'll get, okay? But... <laughs> I do think that was it was kind of a fun misdirect, and then and then of course there really is a dinosaur in there, and you have that horrific you know, death scene. Shooter, shooter, shooter. <laughs> <laughs> then we meet Gennaro, who is the lawyer. <sighs> so he's the lawyer. I'm sorry, Chris. I know you're, you're I, not portrayed I, very well. I have so many thoughts on this. You know, can we justice for the lawyer in Jurassic Park? <laughs> This guy is fundamentally on the right side of history. I mean, don't you agree? What is he there to do? Someone just died, like just yes. like last week, and because of that death, that that worker's family is suing them for twenty million dollars because he got eaten by their product. Right. So, their investors behind this mystery project has said, "Hey, let's see if it's safe." The lawyer represents these investors, and they and and he's he's the one that's got these you know he's bringing Ian Malcolm in for I don't know why he's bringing a mathematician, but whatever. But he's he's going to make sure he's like a risk analyst. It's I just, bring scientists, you bring a rock star. Yeah, I mean that that it does seem misguided on his part, but he's going there to make sure it's safe. Otherwise, if it's not safe, his investors are going to say we're not going to give you money because this is a death trap, and also they don't want to you know be open to lawsuits. It's completely rational. Let me let me say one more thing. So I don't okay. know if it's if it's, if it's Steven Spielberg or if it's Michael Crichton or the other writer. Well, David Steven Spielberg, right? Because he named the shark after I his know, lawyer. I was that. But I mean, <laughs> he's every up until a certain point, you know, it, it, up until this moment of cowardice, which I would argue is, is supposedly just a, a further aspect of his lawyerness. <laughs> He's completely, he's doing a job. Like, someone just died. Hammond's the bad guy. He's hes there to make sure it's safe. In the book, Hammond is the bad guy. Yeah. Anyway, Justice for Jadero. This is a perfect movie, though. Go, continue. <laughs> so he meets with the, the Chilean guy. I guess they're in Chile. I don't remember. Right, well, they're and on the, the um, aisle that's called uh, the Manos del Dio. I said that wrong, but it's the, the Hand of God Island. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. So... They're playing God, are they? <laughs> so they they this is the first time we see the amber and we see the bug inside. And he says they said he need we need two people to sign off on the island. And he says, You'll never get Grant, because Grant's like me. He's a digger. Yeah. So then we finally get to the Badlands. Five, this is like in, five minutes into the movie, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and we meet Dr. Ellie Sattler, Dr. Alan Grant. They're out there. They found a dinosaur. Not just any dinosaur. A velociraptor. Right. Then we're, then we're kind of introduced to the idea that Grant doesn't like technology. Like he doesn't really understand how things work. <laughs> right. Yeah. He's a, a Luddite as it is. You're supposed to respect that. And, you know, he's the sort of John Wayne kind of character. Laconic. And apparently all paleontologists either wear plaid or denim. I don't know if you noticed that in the scene, but they uh, were yeah. heavy on the denim, heavy on the plaid. You got to choose one or the other. And then he gives his whole speech to the little kid who says... 
that doesn't look very scary. And I love that scene because Ellie Sattler is walking <laughs> right behind him going, oh, no, here we go. Again, Makes like no kind of in her own little it. world. Like no one is really paying attention to her. Yeah. But she's just like, hey, guys, check this out. And they're all just like, we don't care. Well, also, the, the constant level of shade that she throws Dr. Grant, like the first hour of the movie, which it's very like <laughs> gentle, but it's like kind of constant. Right, um, and I love that he just sort of, you know, I mean, he obviously loves her, but you know, there's that one scene later on where, uh, which makes me laugh so loud when uh, Tim talks about, uh, you know, this book that was like uh, much bigger than his, and she's behind him and goes, and yours was illustrated, honey, <laughs> 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 which is just like such a sick burn. That's so funny. But they have a fun relationship. Yeah, I really like that relationship. Um, I like that when immediately when they meet Ian Malcolm, Ian starts hitting on Ellie. But Alan doesn't, like, get defensive. He doesn't do anything, really, because it's not that big of a deal to him, I guess. And then later, Ian does kind of ask him, so are you and her together? And he's just kind of like, we are. There's not any, like, machismo or anything. I I just, I kind of like that. But you are right about what you talked about last time with Spielberg's divorce thing, because you are right. They do mention that Hammond's daughter is getting a divorce. Was that in the Crichton novel? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if they mentioned that or not. I, so that's I just probably Spielberg. That... It's like, is there any divorce? Because <laughs> otherwise I'm not doing who, it. <laughs> who can we right. divorce? Right. But yeah, so Lexi and Tim are in the book, but it's interesting because Tim is the older one. Oh, Lexi's wow. Lexi's the okay. younger one. It's weird. I know. And Tim is like the, he likes dinosaurs, but he's he's the hacker type person and Lexi is just like a little girl and so they switch that for some reason which is interesting yeah I like her that her version of being a hacker just knowing how to work the computer right <laughs> like she saw that Angelina Jolie movie hackers and she was like that's me yeah. but she all she does is I know this system it's like yeah so system is like a computer it's like they all use it I don't, I don't know I love her so let me tell you something nerdy that I learned okay by going to Jurassic Quest twice which is like a live animatronic festival type thing where you can go and see all the dinosaurs and we've been twice reading dinosaur books every night something that's very interesting is that the velociraptor is actually the size of a turkey because he says it they're like looks like a scary turkey right they velociraptors were actually small they were feathered not they don't even have a toe claw the dinosaur that they are portraying as a velociraptor in the jurassic park movies is actually a dionychus and they knew this at the time like it wasn't like they they just decided for some reason to go with the name Velociraptor, maybe it sounds scarier than Dionychus. It does sound scary. Well, I did I did read somewhere that after they started filming, like Steven Spielberg said, we'll make it bigger. I want to be like 10 feet tall. And they're like, well, no, that's not a thing. And he's like, I don't care. I'm Steven Spielberg. But then right. they found, <laughs> or not them, but some archaeologists or paleontologists found a 10-foot Velociraptor. Oh, after so they, they can get the, that big. Yeah. Well, it might not have been a Velociraptor. It was they like some... Get- but what, it, was a, it was Velociraptor, but it was like a special kind. It wasn't like the normal Velociraptor. A Utah Raptor, maybe? That doesn't sound right. <laughs> it, it ends with the word Utah Raptor. Utah Raptors are also very scary. Okay. So anyway, we we're at the dig scene. Uh, I love, again, that whole interaction with the kid. I, lo- I like the theory that it's online that that kid comes out to be Owen Grady. Have you read what? that? What? That kid would not grow up to look as good as Owen well, that, Grady. That's what the actor said. That's kind of sad. He goes, are you kidding me? I'm not going to grow up to Chris Pratt because they asked him. But that's a, apparently... Aww. Well, he's like an adult now. I mean, but that's a apparently a pretty big fan theory that he was so traumatized or fascinated by Dr. Grant that he went on to become Owen Grady. So then uh, we have uh, John Hammond come. And I like, and here I am, you know, going into the, the themes of it. I'm sorry, but 
it's kind of funny that he comes in and you know the first thing he does is literally disrupt their their dig. You know he just blasts in with no no regard for what they're working on, which is kind of goes up to what E. Malcolm later accuses on, which is you know yeah yeah uh, completely uh, he didn't earn his knowledge and he's standing on the shoulder of these giants and he doesn't really care about the the work that goes into it and all that's nicely encapsulated in that that scene with him just. You know the helicopter just literally blowing away the work. Yeah, which yeah. Which is one of Spielberg's you know kind of genius things. He's so he's able to encapsulate uh, these sort of touches very easily and get rid of all those exposition. Yeah, we meet John Hammond, who's played by Richard Attenborough. Who again, I was like, who's this old man? And it's like he's been in movies since like nineteen nineteen <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> very well established actor and director. He directed Gandhi. Yeah. Yeah, and he's so cute in this movie, which is again we're going to go back to the book. And in the book, John Hammond was essentially a villain. He, he really had no redeeming qualities. He didn't even care about his grandkids when they got lost in the park. He never really mentions them when they're lost or seems worried. He keeps talking about how we're going to just redo. We're going to do it again. The kids fucked this up. It's their fault. We're going to try again. I'm going to make it bigger, better. He's actually the one, like in the scene with the lawyer, when the lawyer's like, oh, we can sell lunchboxes and we can charge so much. That's actually like something that Hammond was saying. Hmm. He was saying, like, we can, we can charge 10000 a day and people will pay it. It makes more sense in the book that Hammond dies, but the bad guy gets his comeuppance. And so that happens. He falls down a hill and gets hurt and then compies eat him, which I love compies. They're my favorite. And that is in Jurassic the Lost World, Jurassic Park, they put that death in for Peter Stromar, you know, from a... Yeah, I remember that, yeah. We stop at Pancake's house. Oh, right, Fargo. Yeah, so I wonder why they decided to make him less uh, evil, or do you think it was just by virtue of them hiring Dave Attenborough, and they're like, oh. <laughs> I know. And what I read was that my, they hired Michael Crichton to do a screenplay, like of his own novel, mm-hmm. and he did it, and they're like, eh, nah. And then... David Coep came in and completely redid it and removed. I think Michael Crichton already changed his novel a lot, but David Coep uh-huh. came in and really changed it. And mm-hmm. then I think Spielberg usually does his own sort of passive things, even if he doesn't really get credited for it. But at some point between the three of them, uh, that's interesting that they take what would be an obvious villain. Maybe it's more interesting to have someone that's, you know, is able to feel guilt <laughs> for what they've created. Or yeah. Or maybe it was also having to do with like kind of going back to like Jaws and how like, Jaws, the shark, was a main character. And maybe they wanted it more of the focus to be on the T Rex and the uh, dinosaurs yeah. and the, actually the and and not putting this on one person, but this whole idea of nature versus man or technology. Maybe that's more of the focus, not just one man. Yeah, it can be kind of annoying sometimes in movies when you have like an unnecessary villain, you know, <laughs> like they kind of just get in the way of the plot. Maybe that's kind of what they were thinking of, because you're right. I mean, it's enough that you have scary, scary dinosaurs. and Yeah, they kind of do that like in the Lost World. Like there's Peter. What is his name? I want to say Postlewaite, but I don't know. Peter Postlewaite, who is kind of, I mean, he plays like a menacing guy yeah. in most things. Well, he did. He passed away. That was sad, too. And... um. So he's kind of a bad guy, but then there's like another like lawyer who's like a bad guy. And then there's like... Isn't B.D. Wong at some point the bad guy? <laughs> B.D. Wong becomes a bad guy like in Jurassic World and Jurassic World but, Fallen Kingdom, which I love. But don't they kind I of love. insinuate that, they, that he's always been the bad guy or something? Or? I think so. Yeah, he's yeah. always kind of been been behind the scenes and this stuff. And he's also in the Lego series. And oh, it's okay. hilarious. Good for him. I'm telling you. <laughs> I always like when B.D. Wong shows up. Me too. Yeah, so we have the uh, great scene that we referenced in our opening where uh, John Hammond bursts <laughs> in the trailer. Flawless, yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I can't wait for you to edit that one. 
John Hammond bursts into uh, Ellie and uh, uh, Alan's trailer, opens a bottle of champagne, which they have there for whatever reason. You know, we've already speculated on that. Um, pops it right when Alan walks in, which he could have put his eye out. I mean, uh, and then I love. I mean, Alan has this moment of like sort of outburst, finds out who he is, and is immediately like, "Oh my God, you're 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 um, what do you call it?" But then Ellie bursts in, and you know, she's like, "What the hell?" And I yeah. just love her reaction when she finds out who he is, and she's like, "Oh, did I say jerk?" <laughs> she she plays that so great. <laughs> they they're gonna go on a private jet, and then they're then they get on the helicopter. And one thing that kind of, that I always thought was so funny was when Grant can't figure out how to use the seatbelt. The seatbelt, right? Yeah. And so he just ties the two pieces together. But how do you not? He just got off a jet. He must obviously fly around for his job. How do you get to Montana? Does he live there? He's been on an airplane before. <laughs> well, no, That's what it's I'm just, saying. I always just took it as that thing where sometimes you get in a, it, like it's like on an airplane and you get your belt buckled back up with the person next to you. Yes, but then I also always bothers me that then Ellie doesn't have can't put her seatbelt on. Well, I think they just can't find where they are. Like that happens to me all the time, pretty much every time on an airplane. Like, and I always think about that scene. So I don't think I it's thought like it was they, because he couldn't figure out how no, to do it. I think it's just like I think it's just that common thing of like when you get your seatbelts mixed up. I don't, I didn't really take it anyway, but that's kind of funny. I do love the scene though when they're before that, you know, the helicopter when you first meet, as you say, uh, greatest of all time, Ian Malcolm, yes. <laughs> the goat. <laughs> Which well, took me three seconds to get that reference, by the way. <laughs> when you texted me last. Your mind when I gone to the goat that the T-Rex eats. Well, I thought first I thought of the witch because I thought of the, the goat, the witch oh. or the ram. I just love when Ian Malcolm says, like, so you uh, you dig up dinosaurs. And again, you know, God tiered line when Alan uh, Grant says, you know, try to. <laughs> so every time someone asks me if I'm a lawyer, I always want to go like, I try to. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I do a lot. Like, I think this is probably Brian and I's most quoted movie to each other. Is I'll just go or whatever that little thing at Ian Malcolm. <laughs> when you start roaring. Oh my God, it's so good. Well, our our favorite joke is whenever we go to the zoo, and there's any any animal paddock, and we'll go. You are gonna have animals at your zoo, right? <laughs> well, we I think the best that. use of that joke was on our Savannah Ghost Tour, though. Yes, <laughs> that was the worst ghost tour. Yeah. Chris and I, for you listeners, went on a Savannah tour of the city where they're supposed to point out all the haunted sites and ghosts. And we had a very interesting guide. Yeah, but then they were like, we're stopped by this cemetery. Everyone pull your phones out and watch the YouTube video. Yeah. It just, at every stage of the ghost tour, whatever was supposed to happen, didn't happen. And so at one point, you or I said, I want us to give myself credit, but I can't be sure. <laughs> Did the perfect email from Voice of Course and just said, you are going to have a ghost on this ghost tour, aren't you? <laughs> And we laughed so and laughed fun. and laughed. Oh, and he's like, he's a chaotician, chaotician. So I don't know how much of Jeff Goldblum is in, e. is in this character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love thinking about that and, you know, how he came up with exactly how he wanted to do this. He's, he's so interesting. Yeah, the way he talks and the way he dresses. And I, I mean, I want to say in the book, he was kind of like a renegade type person. I mean, you know, he like he kind of was out of the box thinking, but nothing like what Jeff Goldblum brought to this character of Ian Malcolm. And he really is one of the greatest characters, especially in these type of movies, which I don't know why I keep saying that. It's a masterpiece on all levels, but he's such a good character because like you said, he's he's kind of in charge for some of the exposition. I mean, the way they kind of all are. And, you know, Spielberg again is just so great at doing exposition where it's never boring. Unlike, you know, my boy George Lucas or his boy George Lucas, <laughs> who just explains the plot the whole time. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I mean that affectionately. I know, I know. But uh, but Spielberg, he, he knows, he just, he's such a visual storyteller. 
you know, the scene uh, where Dr. Grant is scaring the shit out of the kid at the dig site. Yeah, what he's yeah. actually doing is explaining how the Velociraptors work and what they are and how they attack you. And you'll need to know that in two hours from now. Yes, don't worry. You'll need that. Even I kind of remember like when that happened, like, oh, that's why that scene was important. Well, yeah. And then even like the, the, the huge concept of like we found the amber and we found the mosquito and all that is explained so funly. In a cartoon, is that a yeah. word? <laughs> funly is not not a word. But and so, yeah, we get to watch the cartoon, which has been become iconic. Mr. DNA. Dinosaur. I mean, that's why just like Southern. <laughs> I don't know. And you bred raptors. <laughs> right. The more Adam and I watch this stuff, it's like, why didn't they just I mean, if you bred like a Brachiosaurus and a Stegosaurus and a Triceratops, that would be pretty fucking cool. Just breed the herbivores, right? Yeah. But I do think it's funny that he's, he's continuously surprised by every dinosaur that's like, <laughs> like you bred Triceratops? <laughs> so yeah, it's Jurassic Park. Like, you know, it's like that, you know, John Mulaney iced tea joke on that. You know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you so. mean if I eat too much chocolate cake? You mean if I bet too much on the ponies? <laughs> You mean if I eat too much chocolate cake and throw it up? <laughs> but back to um, Ian Malcolm. I mean, he's such a great character because he does all exposition. He, and then he's also, like you said, the sort of conscience of the film. And he's also a really funny, he's like the comic relief at the same time. And that's kind of oh, an interesting yeah. combination. Uh, and I, 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 to this day, I swear to God, I laugh at every single one of his jokes. Like every it's time so I see it. It's so funny. Well, I also like who put those jokes in there? Was it kind of Jeff Goldblum? Did he maybe like add to the character during filming? Or did I just can't see Michael Crichton making those jokes? So was it David Coap or you yeah. think Steven Spielberg I think kind so. of put some of that humor in along the way? I feel like, I mean, I feel like Spielberg likes improvisation. You know, that you learn a lot of that from even like the Jaws documentaries, you know, like well, with, you know, Brody making up his stuff and that type of thing. So I feel like a lot of that, I'm guessing, yeah, yeah, would have been Goldblum, you know, yeah. some of it anyway, because some of it's like, how do you write that? You know, like, you know, must go faster, must go faster. That's only funny because <laughs> the way he says it, it's not, you know, I just don't imagine them writing that line. Or I mean, if, even him, like the, the iconic shot of him with his chest open <laughs> right. and him, his Beautiful bronze chest just heaving. Yeah. The way he's laying, I mean, that's Jeff Goldblum. That wasn't written in the script. Like, Ian Malcolm lays seductively on the table. They yeah. have a Funko Pop of that, which cracks me up. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I remember having very confusing thoughts when I was 13 about the whole scene. <laughs> it's like, wait, he's he's hot, too? I don't understand. <laughs> um, he is a confusing man. He's very confusing. <laughs> what is Ian Malcolm? <laughs> But even now, I feel like sexually attracted to Jeff Goldblum, and, it, and I'm confused by my feelings. <laughs> it's okay. So Gennaro, when they go by the scientists on the little ride, he says, are they auto-erotica? Auto <laughs> Is that a term? Auto-erotica? It's a joke. It? He's, ta he's talking about auto-erotic association. So he, he's th trying to think of the word animatronic, and he says auto-erotica. I never got that. I never got that until probably last night, and I laughed very hard. But I do wonder, like, so it's interesting that Gennaro is the one that brings Ian Malcolm. So can we talk about chaos theory? Sure. Like, I mean, I love Ian Malcolm, and I love that he likes his little pet project. What is he supposed to bring to the table? Like, what, like, what is, what, I mean, specifically with this theory, what is he supposed to, like, what are they hoping they can revive? Like, how do you study chaos? Again, in the book, it goes much more. There's a lot of just, like, monologues from Malcolm about all this. Okay, tell me. 
And I mean, I think it's saying that like, you can't control anything. So I guess maybe the lawyer is bringing him as kind of uh So he's there to study the risk. Yeah, yes. that makes sense. So he thinks that there's, you cannot control anything. Everything is gonna be affected by something else. And some things are already going to happen. Like this park is not going to work. It is going to fail because of all the risks. At some point, the domino is going to fall. It doesn't matter when it's going to happen. And that's chaos theory. But and you never know which way it's going to go. And so you can't have something like this. And life finds a way. Life finds a way. <laughs> <laughs> then so we learned that all the animals are female mm -hmm. they bred them that way so that way they can't breed in the wild also we learned about the lysine contingent so they have to be injected with this lysine or else they're supposed to die yeah we learned you know, a lot, about a lot of, these of things, things that i feel are never really followed up on i mean like in the sequels i mean like i always thought when they came to dress Park two and maybe they do i haven't seen it in years but i feel like they never really well went with back the to lysine they do mention that again. They start oh. making their own lysine. Oh, okay. And so then they just pass it on to their babies. And so they are able to live. But there's also some mysteries like, uh, not to jump too much ahead, but whatever. Like, you know, why is the, why are the dinosaurs sick? Why is the triceratops sick? Why is the, oh, yeah. why is the brachiosaurus have a cold? Um, is it just because he, they wanted to sneeze and like, there's nothing more to think about it? But they seem to be this theme about they're all kind of They're not sick. doing well. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. But that scene was always hilarious. I mean, big piles of poop are hilarious and that also showed i mean you know she's tenacious we learn a little bit more about ellie sattler she's willing to stick her hand into a giant but how often would you have to do that as a paleobotanist <laughs> i mean he, he acts I like it's something she's done all kinds of times but <laughs> really i thought like this has got to be the first time but of course you get the classic line you know well that's one big pile of shit <laughs> gold all around from jeff goldblum we've had the great scene you know the sort of the most exposition scene well, it's not really exposition, but it's just where they're talking about the themes of the movie. You know, the sort of dinner where they're having the, you know, Chilean bass, which is kind of funny. And yeah. And uh, poor John Hammond just getting in from all sides, except for the blood sucking lawyer. And, you know, <laughs> you know Jeff Goldblum, e, I'm sorry, E. Malcolm comes in just spitting fire about, you thought so much about whether you could do it. You didn't think about whether you should do it. Right. Which I said that line all wrong, but it's a good one. And then, of course, Ellie Stallard comes in and talks about how we have all these plants that they're poisonous and they're in the, you know, even in the museum and you pick them because they look pretty. But, and then, you know, he, so he turns to Alan Grant and Alan Grant's like, I don't know. <laughs> 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 but I mean, he basically says like, you know, he has a great line about, you know, you have 65 million years apart. How do you know, how, how the hell you know what to expect between you know, humans and dinosaurs? Which, right. I mean, I don't know. I'll eat you. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, Janeiro, like you said, has dollar signs. But that's the one big scene where they kind of really talk about sort of what the movie is maybe about, I guess, as far as greed and capitalism and, you know, you know the dangers of technology. Well, yeah, but before that, they meet the raptors. Yes. They so say, they go to the raptor they pen. They shake hands. And <laughs> Mr. Raptor. <laughs> <laughs> and they have the scene of them feeding the cow to yeah, him it always makes you kind of sad yeah. and so we understand that these are dangerous animals we, they're very smart they don't hit the same place on the fence twice all these warning signs you know it's just like and they still keep them around for a minute about the sounds of these animals and what they were able to do so the sound designer was gary rydstrom and he he later came out and said that the sound, like the barking sound that the raptors make, you know, when they call to each other, is the sound of uh, tortoises mating. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. They're they wild. also use like, <laughs> they also use like the sound of like a horse breathing, you know, they kind of, they blow air out, especially when oh, they like. yeah, I can see that now. 
this must have been fun, but also challenging because they use donkey sound, uh, the blowhole of a whale, lions, swans, baby elephants, rattlesnakes, all of these different animals on these different uh, sounds that the animals make on the the T-Rex, the Brachiosaurus, uh, the Gallimimus. I mean, it's just like, it's pretty crazy. The sounds that they came up with are terrifying. Yeah. We're kind of taking for granted even what they sound like now, but at the time it was pretty novel because there had never been a convincing dinosaur movie or show before. Yeah, yeah. There had been some like, you know, uh, stop motion footage type things, uh, but no one had really ever figured it out. And so I remember at the time there was, you know, there were even specials like on TV about it, like, you know, how real was Jurassic Park? And, and there was, you have some scientists saying, yeah, that's probably about right or maybe not. But, you know, but there's this idea that it was like supposed to be somewhat uh, scientifically accurate if that's the right word well yeah i mean i know they spent two years on like pre-production and studying and talking to paleontologists and experts and i mean they definitely put the work in yeah they didn't talk to adam (laughs) you're right i mean but also like they they have that freedom because no one does know yeah you know brontosaurus was a big dinosaur when we were kids right that was like everyone knew the brontosaurus and then at some point they said oh actually there's not a brontosaurus we made a mistake. That was an apatosaurus. They're the same thing. So we're going to call it an apatosaurus because that was discovered first. And then in 2015, they came back and said, oh, well, you know what? There's a bit of a difference between an apatosaurus and a brontosaurus. So now there is an apatosaurus and a brontosaurus and a brachiosaurus. So there's just, there's no way to know for sure with these things. A lot of this theory. Okay. One of my main questions for Adam, though, he's going to be so mad at me, is like, why are they so big? <laughs> Because, <laughs> like, I was thinking about, like, so the brontosaurus in the movie, or I guess it's brachiosaurus, they're eating vegetables. Like, that's all they eat. They just eat food. Oh, it's crazy, How right? do you get so big if you're just eating plants? I know. I know. I mean, they just eat 20 hours a day. And that's then, their like, lives. What's the point of being so big? Like, how's that? Well, yeah, I love, like, when you read about, like, when they first found dinosaur bones. And they were like, what the fuck? Right. <laughs> and at first they were like, is this a from giants? And then in China when they first dug them up, they thought maybe they were dragons. Yeah. And I mean, how cool would that be? Unfortunately, dragons were never real, but I mean, like what in the world do you think when you pick, when you dig up like a 20 foot femur bone? I don't know. Yeah. So they go on their, they meet the the kids. Right. And then they go on their tour in their, those, those Jeep Cherokees became very popular. Yeah. They were supposed to be the electric ones. Yeah. I kind of never really got that. Yeah. And they have a, a CD-ROM with a touchscreen, like the coolest things you've ever seen in your life. I love, I don't know if it's also Spielberg with the whole who's sitting where in the Jeeps, because that tells you a lot. Like Ian wants to sit with Ellie. He thinks she's hot. And then the kids want to sit with Grant. Right. And then the girl wants to sit with Grant because Ellie's trying to get him to like kids because she wants to have kids and all that. There's a lot to unpack just in that one little scene yeah. with them. Where are they going to sit? It's very cute. I like how the the sort of family kids dynamic is handled so much better than in Jurassic World. And again, I'm not here to shit on Jurassic World, but you know that movie is famously sexist towards the Bryce Dallas Howard character. Oh my! It, don't get me started. I know we're not. We've, I feel we've even talked about that podcast before. It's, it's, <laughs> I might. I might have cut it's it so out. So inflammatory. But, but well, the, the thing that makes me so mad. Just one. One thing. Okay. Okay, oh, I'll Bryce let Dallas you go, Howard. I'll, I'm right there with you. <laughs> Claire is her name. She has chosen not to have children because she wants to have her career first. Right. Right? 
she like is the like financier or she's like the she has the pr all this shit for jurassic world one of the most hard to run places i'm sure in the world I'm sure right it's very hard to run <laughs> <laughs> and her sister sends her children who are like almost grown one of them's like 16 and she's upset on the phone with her sister okay her okay her sister is back home in the middle of a board meeting type thing she's at work and she is yelling at Claire for not hanging out with her boys. But she's got to go because she's got to get back to work. Yeah, and she just dropped them off, you know. But she gave them all access passes. She gave them a tour guide. She said she'd see them for dinner. She's got a job to, she's got a whole park to run. Also, there's like some big financing coming up. You know, she's got a boss that is tough. She's got Indominus Rex that they're trying to release. She's got, a lot she's got play, these yeah. sexual feelings for Owen. She doesn't know what to do with. Anyway. It's just amazing that the gender politics of the first one, which is 22 years or so earlier than Jurassic World, are so much more advanced. I mean, the whole, if to the extent there's a movie about these people need to have kids, it's more about Alan Grant, you know, the male, just kind of generally yeah. wanting to maybe appreciate kids. And Alan, Ellie Sadler, it's not really a major plot point. It's just sort of implied that, yeah, she may want to have kids one day. But it's more like with him, not necessarily because she's a female and that's what she's supposed to do with her life. And that's right. about it. That's as, kind of as far as you go with it. And when they become kind of a family, it's it's just all done visually through action and character. And it just it's just so so well handled that it's not really this sort of browbeating, what's wrong with this, what's wrong with this woman? Why doesn't she appreciate the kids in her life? Oh, my God. Um, I can't. I know. The last Jurassic World that's supposed to come out, was supposed to come out this year, it's going to come out next year, Dominion. Because, you know, everyone's back. So Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum are back in the last one, right? And there were some leaked photos of and, um, Laura Dern and Sam Neill like, kissing. Mm. Or like their characters. So like maybe they got back together. Or maybe she never had kids with the other guy. Oh. You know, maybe they've always been together. Yeah. Or if those don't movies know, so. don't exist, then yeah, they never did. I know. Well, who knows? Also, so. I read that Jeff Goldblum and Laura Dern got together in the movie. Like the actors. During Jurassic Park? Yeah. Apparently, Jeff oh. Goldblum is known for like a sort of getting with his co-stars, or at least back then. I don't know about now. Oh, <laughs> um, so some of that was kind of real, like yeah. So they and maybe after the movie, sort of kind of dating. Nothing I don't think terribly serious, but they were kind of together That's, for a minute. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's kind of sweet. But I also like Ian Malcolm is sort of like touchy. He's kind of like affectionate, you know, like he, he kind of messes with John Hammond and grabs his leg. And yeah. then he like <laughs> he, he touches. Weird, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny, though. Like what a strange characteristic to add to him. And then he's a little touchy with Ellie, obviously, because he likes her. But yeah, also but just kind of seems you're right, to be. Though, him like touching John Hammond's leg. It makes it less <laughs> creepy when he's like grazing her shoulder later in the movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> just him. It's just kind of cute. Yeah. I love him and uh, Dr. Grant's. I mean, I'm not saying like they're like have a it's not like a buddy comedy or anything, but they have a good little themselves have a good sort of chemistry. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and just even the scene in the Jeep when they're together, they're, it's almost like a little domestic part. Like they're the dads and like the kids are the right. kids. And it's, it's, <laughs> right. it's really well done. It is. Well, so then um, another group of people that we need to talk about, I guess, the is control the room control people, room. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought about that. And so we have uh, Newman yeah. from Seinfeld. Yeah. Nedry. Who had already been on Seinfeld. I remember knowing him from Seinfeld. He was one of the few people that I yeah. Knew I think this had been like in the right when Seinfeld was probably at its most popular. You know, so he that's been, so funny. Yeah. He's uh one of the villains, I guess. The main 
human villain that we can pin things on. And we've already learned from a previous scene that he's going to be stealing the embryos for money, which well, doesn't seem like a lot. What do you think? Like $1.5 million? Like this is like billions of dollars of research. Does the book explain more about whatever his financial situation no, is? No, I was wondering about that too yeah, so there's like just, there's something there seems to be a lot going on it's almost it's like a deleted scene or something but because there's a whole beat where john hammond talks about how nedry made all these mistakes or something and how hammond feels like he's not responsible for them and yeah that's what i was wondering what were dennis nedry's mistakes what did he do did he well, maybe he gambled it or saying, why would he be responsible in the first place i don't get it because i don't think he thinks that he's being paid enough yeah yeah for sure but there's also some other implication of some other risky something out there and I, I, it's not really fully developed i guess it doesn't matter but yeah so he needs more money with dodson dodson right. we, <laughs> we got dodson here <laughs> uh, and then that of course that shaving can has become very famous yeah and so then we also have samuel l jackson yeah all up in there and he plays one of the it guys uh mr arnold i think arnold yeah, yeah. Hang on to your butts. Which Brian says all the time. Does it mean cigarette butts or butts? I wonder. Well, I mean, I think he means cigarette. It shows a cigarette butt right. when he says yeah. it. So you're supposed to think about it, I guess. But okay. every time we pull out of the neighborhood or <laughs> anything like that, Brian says, hold on to your butts. <laughs> That's pretty good. And then so we kind of learn about his plan and he shuts everything down. And that's when the Jeep shut down out in the field. So Ellie has gone with the dude with the tr- Triceratops. Yeah. And then they're. Figure that out. <laughs> I mean, it is a spooky scene when he says, Where'd they stop? Yeah. And they show you the goat again. Which is brilliant because, you know, they don't show, like, you know, a sign that says Tyrannosaurus paddock. You've already established that there's a goat there. You know, that's just a great kind of way to visually showing where you are, you know? Yeah. Well, so then we have just one of the greatest scenes ever. I mean, just nonstop, nonstop action. I mean, they're, they're kind of cutting back to the control room. But, I mean, the scene yeah. where the T-Rex gets out. And I paused it last night to see, like, how far we're into the movie. And we were, like, an hour into the movie before this happens. And it doesn't what? really. It goes by so fast. I know, right. And it's kind of like a, I mean, Aliens is another example of a movie like this, where you think it's all waddle action. But you have a good hour of, of, like, just, you know, plot before you really get at this. And none of the other movies, I don't think, are like that. But, um, and that's why when people say like, well, you know, the dinosaurs aren't even in the movie that much and you think what, but it's kind of true in a way. Like you have a lot of movie without the dinosaurs. So now you're in, into an hour before it becomes the movie that it kind of is, which is mm-hmm. an absolute horrific monster movie. <laughs> Scariest part to me was when the T-Rex keeps pushing the Jeep and they keep trying to get away from the Jeep because if the Jeep's going to not smash them against the wall. Yeah. I just think there's nothing scary when the T-Rex's head coming through the fucking moonroof. And the oh, kids, know. you know, holding it up with their legs, the little legs, they're the screaming. little, you know, they're screaming. And again, the, 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 the dad's just sort of watching from their own Jeep, like, what? And, then, and then even when the mud's bubbling up and you're worried, oh, God, are they going to drown? Yeah, you really just get the sense that this is just their worst nightmare come alive. You know, like, you know, they're just watching and there's like nothing they can do about it. They can't imagine it's happening. They don't really believe what they're watching. And it's kind of like, again, how it would be. Yeah. I thought, you know, the dinosaurs, especially the T-Rex, I was expecting it to look, you know, maybe kind of fake or dated by this point. It does not. It still looks no, completely. No, no, <laughs> I don't know if they've updated or redone the visual effects. I don't think so. But. The Brachiosaurus in the beginning looks odd. It might also just because I'm watching it on an old DVD. So I'll let you know when I watch it on the 4K. And like some of the like big scenes of the dinosaurs does look because it is a bit 
I think it's CGI part, but the part that is the T-Rex still, that's what I think about too when I watch Toy Story, the first Toy Story, which came out in 1995. Mm. And I cannot believe that it looks as amazing as it does in 95. And that's how I feel about Jurassic Park, the the T-Rex scenes and the Velociraptors. Yeah. I mean, I think they look flawless. Yeah. I mean, completely. And, you know, and it's a great blend of like the model work that Stan Winston Dunn did. And I know you can always tell like when it's a model, when it's not, but you don't really think about that way, you know, it's kind of like the opposite problem with Jaws. Like they never really try to hide the dinosaur like they did the shark. They full out, you know, have, you know, the full grown live action dinosaurs coming at you. And that's, that was certainly very brave at the time when they had this sort of untested technology. But I mean, there's been movies I mean, hundreds of movies since then that don't hold up visual effects wise like this one does. Well, I also feel that and this is a little bit later, but um, Peter Jackson's King Kong, hmm. I still think is so good. That fight scene between King Kong and that dinosaur is still amazing. I think that's a very underrated movie. I suspect you're right. I've never completely gone on board with that movie. I've never watched it, like mm. not enjoyed it, but I've always it's it's very quite long. <laughs> Yeah, I'll need to watch no, it. No, I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that that's my, that's how I felt. No, I, yeah, and I still love that's it. what I said. I've never watched it, which is only a handful of times, and not generally enjoyed fight, it. Fight, yeah. fight, fight. But there's something also about it that's, that leaves me a little bit cold, and I quite can't quite explain what. Mm, okay, Jack Black. Maybe. <laughs> it's just it's an odd movie. You have to admit it's a strange movie. <laughs> okay, when the T-Rex part starts, though, the movie just goes because then we have that, or cutting to Nedry, who is trying to get out and then we have the amazing scene which was one of my favorite scenes ever Uh, those dilophosauruses just i love them so much every time i throw a stick for my dog i say stick stick stupid stick (laughs) so this what this reminds me of is when i was uh, that same friend that i would show the movie to the sleepover you know Uh uh-huh so whenever i think of him which i haven't seen this guy in years but he's he would make me laugh so hard but he would uh do this thing where he'd stare at you you know, after seeing the movie, so he stare at you. And then I'll know where you go like <laughs> He would do the hilarious. thing with his hands where it fans out like the little things around his face and he would hiss at you. Uh, just a purple of nothing. And it was always fun. He'd he'd also do the T Rex thing where he'd like go like this and like come at you like Adam does, but <laughs> he was like, like fifteen the, years the old. The T Rex as an animal does crack me up. I do not understand why does it have those tiny arms? I mean it is funny. It's almost like it wasn't quite finished. Like it, had, it right. like his arms hadn't evolved into whatever they were supposed to eventually be. I know it's so crazy. Every single scene that's supposed to be suspenseful is in fact suspenseful. There's just not a wasted, yeah, um, scene with a jeep and the tree is great. So we don't really have to get into all that. We kind of talked about it yeah. already, but still looks amazing. Doesn't look fake. That's another line that we say all the time. Like especially when we're running around all day, and I'll just we're back in the car again. Right. <laughs> And like, even after that, I love how the kids are complaining, like, you know, they're just, they're walking across the park and they're just like, you know, we're there yet, you know, that type of thing. And, you know, they're just being kids, but but also being. Yeah, you're right. Lord Dern and, uh, has come looking for a man and there's that great scene with the T-Rex chasing their Jeep. That's still awesome to this day. You know, the objects and mirror closer than they appear. So good. That has been in so many other movies. I mean, it's so good. Yeah. I, I never realized, but is she screaming shit over and over again in that scene? It sounds like she is. I don't know. I feel like she says shit loudly there's three times. There's a few times. things yeah. that, I, that I didn't understand what she was saying. Yeah. Like whenever she gets attacked in the shed, 
she yells something at it. And I said, Adam, what did she say? And he was like, I don't know. She, it was she gets very strange scream. I think what it is is that she's genuinely terrified. And so she's reacting because she said, uh, I saw some interviewer, basically the scene where she's uh, in the, the power station when, you know, Sam Jackson's mm-hmm. arm, that whole thing. She said she was shaking with terror during that scene because she, because they had the, like a, animatronic raptor and she knew it was going to come out and uh-huh. get her and it just freaked her out so much that she said she was really that scared and that her reaction for most of that scene is just her being that scared oh, so i think man. that's what we attribute to her strange acting is that that's just kind of she was just terrified <laughs> that's just kind of what she does and she just kind of puts that in her performance i do think it goes without saying it i mean as much as i've said about jeff Goldblum and alan i mean laura dern is by far the MVP of this movie. I mean, I just love her so much. I can't. I love her can't too. Say enough about her. Well, one thing that we used to say to each other a lot was what? Run. <laughs> <laughs> That's still the best. Is, oh my gosh. I do like the scene where, uh, with uh, I like it more now. I guess as an adult with the uh, Ellie Sadler and John Hammond, you know, eating and like just sort of yeah. And uh, I never really got what she was talking about as a kid. Like, I thought she was talking about the power being out, like, literally. Like, well, yeah, the power's out. But I, I, didn't, I didn't get the metaphor about the power, you know, the power of this place. Because there is so much to unpack in that. It's just a quiet scene yeah. of him kind of explaining where he's coming from, what he wants to do. Yeah, so he's like a, a Barnum-type character in the movie, which right. I imagine in the book, maybe, like you said, it's more of a straight villain. But And then, you know, Ellie, like, taking all that in and then being like, okay, but... You're wrong. Yeah. People are dying. <laughs> How many times do people say people are dying in this movie? Because she says it. Like, <laughs> well, I think. Then like a minute later, he says it. In the, in I know. Concept. I think he took her line. Yeah. But it, it always makes you laugh because at that point, it's like, well, so far, it's just been like, what, Gennaro? Like, so. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, person's, person is dying. <laughs> her delivery, even in that scene, makes me laugh a little bit. Just speaking, you know, like, you know, I was overwhelmed by the power of this place. And now the power is gone. Scoop of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> you never had control. That's the illusion. Yeah. Um, which is kind of like what Ian was saying. Well, there's a great trend on TikTok that was going around that made me laugh. TikTok makes me laugh so hard. Okay. I know I'm almost 40, but I love TikTok. I don't even and, know how to look at it. <laughs> oh, well, there was a trend where <laughs> it was sit like Laura Dern. Because you notice how she sits down. She like stretches her arms all the way across the table. <laughs> What? And then sits down. I don't know if you noticed that. <laughs> That's great. <though. laughs> so there was a trend going around where you would sit like Laura Dern. Like in, in all kinds of movies? or In just Jurassic Park. Oh. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> There's so many great scenes. The scene with the, you know, the electric fence, of course, is great. Um, I like how you know, the kid is just zapped and flies back 40 feet. That's pretty brutal. Watching it again this time, I was thinking, like, I think those two kids could climb through the holes. They were huge. I never thought about that. You ruined that whole scene for me. I'm sorry. But I do like that scene, too, because it shows how siblings are. I'm going to beat you to the top. All of a sudden, it turns to terror for Lexi because her brother is not breathing. But I like how they don't go on and on with it. They they, they leave the scenes as a little cliffhanger. But when they come back immediately, he's like, okay, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. So we already talked about that. The scene where the Ellie in the power station is one of the... the all-time great shockers i think when the when the red when the head comes through right behind her it's scary every it time it still scares me yeah. movie, i i probably have seen jurassic park more than most movies i i don't know exactly what movie i've seen the most but this is definitely one of them and it's scary every time because yeah. you know what i always kind of think i always forget that it's the velociraptor head first i always think the arm falls down first mm. 
And so I'm expecting that. And then when it's the Velociraptor head, it scares me. And then she backs away and then Samuel L. Jackson's hand fall or arm falls on her and it's cut off and bloody. It's so good. Yeah, it's like, and then she has to fight both these. And she's running crazy because like she, flashlight. flashlights wrapped yeah, around her leg. Is that why she's limping? I kind of I wonder. Because, yeah. you know, the earlier she ran to the tree when she was trying to, you know, when Muldoon tells her to run towards the power oh, station. Oh, gosh. And that's a scary scene, too, isn't it? We turn around to run and you run right into a yeah, tree. Yeah, so I wondered, oh, is that her leg? It's not really. I don't know. It seems like she's dragging the flashlight. Okay, yeah. She's limping. For but it might have been some of both. Yeah. And then she makes it and she has that great cry. And then, yeah, Muldoon gets taken down by his precious girls. Yeah. Which happens exactly like, uh, and it's scary because you imagine what, you know, uh, Dr. Grant was talking about earlier, how like it would, how you're very much alive while it eats you. And you don't quite yeah. see it because you have the, the fronds in front of the camera, but it yeah. looks pretty horrific. And what scares me so bad, and this shouldn't surprise you, but it's the image of the snake. The snake. <laughs> uh, not the snake itself, but something about the combination. And it's actually a brilliant thing. It's like, you know, the this reptile that's supposed to exist evolutionary-wise. And, you know, uh, what's Ian say? You know, nature didn't select it to die, whatever he says. Yeah. I mean, that's not just him. That's just like a theory. But, um, but it, that combined with the very sort of the dinosaur that's just fundamentally not supposed to be there. and But how there's this kind of link between them and... And I like it's weird how the dinosaur doesn't just like eat it. I don't know. It's also like that stillness is creepy. Yeah. Like it's so still. Clever girl. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is not what I would say if I was. I would be. I would be much more shitting my pants. He appreciates <laughs> them. Right. I guess. It does kind of. It does kind of make me laugh when the Velociraptor, you know, appears out of the, the fronds, whatever, and it's kind of like, "Gotcha, bitch." <laughs> <laughs> What it's always like makes smiling. me laugh is when the cut from then Ellie gets back and then she says that one of them's contained unless they can open doors yeah. and then it cuts to them opening the door but it just kind of seems like he's like hello <laughs> <laughs> like he's just the great thing not anyone home <laughs> yeah. see that reminds me also of the scene in Aliens where the alien learns to use the elevator which is kind of right kind of funny <laughs> like ding <laughs> <laughs> no he waits. Yeah. <laughs> Like, <laughs> and then he gets in the elevator and he doesn't know it's awkward because there's someone else in there. <laughs> oh, aliens. That whole last, you know, it's probably only like 10 minutes, but it just, it gets crazier and crazier and crazier. And then, you know, everyone has their hero moment. Ellie has her hero moment, you know, figuring out how to use the computer. That's just right there. I mean, I'm not diminishing her. She's hacking. Lexi. Lexi, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's hacking. She's hacking. So she does good. Tim is just, you know, surviving. There's a great, you know, of course, the kitchen scene. That's iconic, oh, of course. So good. So scary. And just the, I don't know, it's just so, it's so cold and clean. Great setup. I read a fascinating thing somewhere, maybe IMDb, about how, like, apparently, I never even thought about it, but people thought it was a plot hole that the freezer doors open in the first place. Like, so that Tim can run into it. Like, why is the freezer door just open? Huh. The theory is, like, well, no, that's not a plot hole. It's because earlier you see, you know, they're oh. eating the ice cream. The, yeah. the power had gone out, so they opened the door so it would defrost and not get, you know, ice everywhere. And that's where they got the ice cream from. So that's why it was kind of open. Oh. And that's why the water, the melted stuff, that's why ice had formed on the floor and that type of thing. Right. They're geniuses. Uh, but that's, that's just that's such a cool scene. When, and it's so scary when, when not just when the first one comes in, but when the second one comes in behind them, you're just like, oh, shit. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So cool. And they're just like talking to each other. Yeah. And they're a little pissed with each other. You don't know what's been happening. What's going on? It's so creepy. The last major sort of set piece when they, you know, they leave the computer room, they go, they're, you know, walking through the ductwork. And when they jump on the dinosaur bones and the 
Oh, but before that, one of the scariest scenes to me was they were walking down the ductwork, and then um, the dinosaur jumps up, and yeah. one of the, they Lexi falls. Oh my gosh! And then it starts nipping at her. Yeah. So then they get out, and they're going to jump on the dinosaur bones. Yeah. The scene when the Velociraptor, and I know it's fake, but it doesn't look fake when it jumps on the dinosaur bones with them, and then they all like split apart, and they uh-huh. and that that level of chaos just. It is so great. I mean, it's so well. And, I, and I, every time I watch it, I try and watch like, I mean, they must have like little, I mean, clearly it's just little charges between the bones that are separating them. And there's nothing there, of course. And then I try and watch how Spielberg films it. And like every piece of that set, of that set piece is so, so well done. And it's possibly one of the best action scenes I can like, think of is my, is my point. It's just so, yeah, so cool. And it's just all music. There's no dialogue, just screaming, dinosaurs yelling and <laughs> bones falling. And uh, just, you know, there's always some, it's like a musical, except it's like an action movie. I, I can't describe yeah. how amazing it is. And I get excited and every time it happens. Fall, yeah. yeah. Seconds away from being attacked by Velociraptor. Yeah. The thing that Grant was talking about in the beginning of the movie, and it's about to happen to him in real life. And then Rexy comes in. That's what they call him in the book. And is he the anti-hero? I guess like he he starts out the bad guy, but then he kind of we kind of like him. Yeah, but if you think about it, they were standing still, and the Velociraptors are moving. So I think it's just more that he saw the Velociraptors because they were running around. <gasps> yeah, but he comes in and, and they are able to get away. Yeah. And then can we just and this is I'm not saying there's a plot hole, but where did he come from? Like I, I see you see kind of a big open area behind them. Did he like burst through the building or? I'm Sure. I can't quite figure they come through the doors? It almost looked like there's like an open construction area. So maybe they're still working on the building. Oh, yeah, maybe. Because I think there was like plastic around yeah. and stuff, you know, like there were drop cloths. So he just and... kind of walked in like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe he figured out how to open the door. I don't know. Because my main thing is like he's so big, like he can't just go through those doors. But there's some sort of big open area yeah, behind him. Yeah, that's where it must be. So he came into the construction entrance <laughs> after hammering <laughs> on the doors and ringing the doorbell and all that. He had his, his hard hat on. <laughs> right. You know, that last scene when, you know, when Rexy is, you know, roaring in triumph <laughs> and, the, you know, the banner comes. That's yes. still so fucking cool. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if the banner is digital. I guess they just dropped it, but it, it just looks, it's so well done. I can't. Uh, it's so good. And the, that roar is so good. Yeah. And they run out and like Alan Grant has been thinking about this. One what liner. line he's going <laughs> to. <laughs> he's got it all ready all day. And he runs out and says, after careful consideration, I decided not to endorse your part. And it kind of reminded me of like. In Titanic, they kind of do that sometimes where they'll stop the scene Cold. to have like a one-liner. <laughs> right. Like, if the rats are running that way, that's the way I'm going. And then they run that way. Right. They've survived this whole shipwreck. And Leonardo DiCaprio says, after this is all over, I'm going to write a strongly worded letter to the White Star Line. Yeah. And then he dies. I used to think that was so funny, by the way. Oh, me too. The, the phrase strongly worded made me laugh. I'm not sure why. <laughs> yeah. So and then the movie just ends. You know, they're like, okay. Well, then they just, they fly off. Yeah into the sunset and then of course they have john williams we talked about him last time about how he's just how does he do what he does would you do you prefer well i guess there's really no contest if you took star wars music out of john williams would you prefer his music or danny elfman do you like danny elfman music yeah and i've sent mental attachments to both of them because i used to watch batman like every single day when i was a kid uh-huh forget the other Tim Burton movies but that was my main thing um but i guess i mean probably john williams you know i, I think danny elfman would be the more 
kind of cool choice, I suppose. But it's a tough choice, though, isn't it? I thought there's so many movies. Yeah, I don't. But I mean, Batman aside, like, I mean, if I sit there and think about it, I can think about like the Beetlejuice theme or, you know, whatever. Edwards is her hands. What is that theme? I don't know. It's great, though. Whatever it is, yeah, I don't know. Exactly. Yeah. But you can. But do you have to think for a second about Jaws or That's Jurassic true. Park? Or, That's true. Um, I didn't help that. Da, 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 yeah. da, 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 da. Yeah, that's another one where John Williams, I mean, he just wrote that over breakfast, I suppose. I mean, what? How, I don't know how he does that, but... I mean, the soundtrack I used to listen to all the time was Titanic, yeah. because I would listen to the whole soundtrack so I could reenact the entire movie in my head, in my room, alone. <laughs> While kissing my pictures of Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio. Well, I would but... do the same thing with Jurassic Park and just make out with Jeff Goldblum's. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so one scene in the book that I just want to talk about, which was so cool, was the river scene. I don't know if you remember that. I do, actually, yeah. I remember the book I mean, more than the more you talk about it. It's like I remember a lot of this from not having read it for 20 years. A lot of it kind of made its way into, I want to say, The Lost World, too, didn't it? Like the waterfall scene, wasn't that in the, in the, the original book? Yes. The, the waterfall scene is a little different, but they do have that same sort of scene. Um, and then also the opening of The Lost World with the little girl on the beach is the first scene from the book Jurassic oh, Park. Oh, really? Okay, cool. The river scene, I mean, like they're going down the river and the T-Rex is following them. And they think, oh, maybe he can't swim, but he just fucking walks into the river and he's tall enough that his head sticks out like an alligator. It's so scary. And so then they have to go over a waterfall and, you know, it's it's really good. But apparently they made a ride at Orlando that was like that, hmm. where you went down the river and the T-Rex followed you, which I've, I haven't been to Orlando, Universal Studios. And then the whole ending is obviously different. They try to poison the raptors, oh, whatever, yeah. it doesn't I, matter. But. I, I said the two things I remember about it are the, the river scene and I remember John Hammond's death scene for some reason. Well, and then and Ian and Malcolm dies too. And that's why I think it was also kind of weird getting the Lost World and being like, wait, what? Yeah, I remember reading The Lost World and thinking, like, how are they making a movie out of this? And then they just didn't. <laughs> I mean, they, they made a movie out of that one scene with the or the, the trailers, which is a great scene. But, it is. but I think the rest of the movie they didn't even bother with, right? Or the rest of the book. Golly, I don't even remember. It is strange that Spielberg came back to do that one. And how did they get it so wrong? I kind of got the sense that, you know, he maybe phoned it in a little bit as much as that is possible with him. But I think I've literally seen him footage of him on the phone, like from some other location directing that movie. Oh, wow. Now, Jurassic Park 3, I really enjoy. Yeah, I've only seen that the one time, like way, way back in the day. Well, because in and in the book, too, they do have pterosaurs, which I do love. Is it like a pterodactyl? The pterosaur. Yeah, we don't call them that, though, oh, Chris. Okay. Is that offensive? <laughs> <laughs> Who is, who is um, we, I think there way. is a pterodactyl, but like the, the dinosaurs that fly are called pterosaurs. Found like the aviary in the book and all that. So they put that into the third one, which I thought was super cool because I, I love the pterosaurs. Because how scary is that? Have you ever seen how big a Quetzalcoatlus is? It's humongous. Yeah. Well, do we have any final thoughts on JP as we call it? Oh, it's perfect. Oh, yeah. It's still so great. Yeah, I was I was listening to some other podcasts, uh, which I know you hate when I talk about podcasts. Um, <laughs> but it was that Stephen King podcast. They were and they were talking about what you know perfect movies like. What is a perfect movie? And I thought, well, that's a dumb question. Like, how could that even be? And then they immediately said, well, probably Jurassic Park. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> oh, I had a few perfect movies. Yeah, but I mean, like objectively, like you know, 
but I think Jurassic Park is objectively like a perfect movie. Like as far as okay, you know what it sets out to do, and then beyond that, there's not a single suspenseful scene that is not in effect suspenseful, and there's not a single action scene that's not uh, in fact exciting. You know what I mean? Like it's you know what also I think is impressive is there's not a single like comic relief line or comic relief part. That's not funny. That's not funny. Yeah. That's a real bummer. When you watch a movie and they try to add that in there and you're just like, yikes, yeah. you know, and it just, it's uncomfortable. Much less these great actors. There's the moment where it strikes me every time that I can't believe they stopped doing this in the movie where Hammond kind of suggests that Laura Dern should go out there because she's a woman. Right. And there's that great line where she goes, look. And uh, <laughs> we'll discuss uh, sexual politics. What does she say? We'll, we'll we can discuss, discuss sexism in, a survi- in survival situations when I return. Perfect movie. Yeah, perfect movie. Another perfect movie I would say for me is No Country for Old Men. Okay. Moana. Never seen it. Perfect. I'll have to watch it. Do you have something that's just perfect? Me. I mean, maybe like a, this is going to irritate the hell of you, but like Alien. Like to me, that's kind of like a perfect movie. Okay, I could see that. But even that, that's been kind of, even Ridley Scott has rejiggered that movie a few times. Like Steven Spielberg's never gone back and fixed anything about Jurassic Park that I know of. Right. Like, so I can't, by that logic, I can't say Star Wars because George Lucas is still like fixing Star Wars oh somewhere gosh. right now. Um, I feel so bad for him with that, yeah. you know. And I and I can't say that's a perfect movie. Maybe Boogie Nights, mm. uh, Pulp Fiction. See, there's a lot. And you're, but you're saying like objectively. I'm saying like like for you personally. But a perfect movie objectively is harder to think about. Yeah. I mean, The Godfather, so I, I, I suppose. I mean, I can't imagine anyone going to The sure. Godfather and saying like that didn't really deliver. Well, E.T. E.T. is a perfect movie. Although again, Spielberg felt the need to go back and change some things. So what does that suggest? Uh, the, the example these guys brought was The Shawshank Redemption. They say they thought that may be the perfect movie in the sense there's like everyone seems to agree that like whether it's on TNT that day, like no one just doesn't watch that and everyone seems to like it. Back to the Future, I don't know, like what these type of movies that just are not just universally popular, but like there's not anything you can really pick apart. And not in some John Mulaney way about how the plot (laughs) in itself is insane, but like, you know. Right. What, that he's best friends with a disgraced nuclear scientist? <laughs> well, and, and he tries to explained? fuck his mom, yeah. Right. <laughs> That's the whole movie. Right. Um, but anyway, Jurassic Park, I think, if there is a definition of one, that it belongs in that top you know, 10 or whatever. Uh, it is so good. And I think it gets okay. more appreciated the more, A, the more sequels are made from it. <laughs> right. <laughs> Like the the more things they can point to and be like, wow, that's not good. Let's watch Jurassic Park again. Yeah. And also that's why I earlier called it in a way a sequel to Jaws. Like, you know, the way we talk about Jaws now, I imagine maybe people didn't talk about when it came out, you know, but now it's like just a classic of how you do everything right. Every single choice in Jaws that ended up on screen anyway is like just perfect. And Jurassic Park is similar in that sense. And also people get eaten by scary, scary monsters. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, five big triceratops shits i give five uh big goldblum hairy chests (laughs) (laughs) we'll return to spielberg well uh, we'll actually return to Jurassic park as we as we will because we have a part two coming up and we have a special guest hopefully that'll join us as well well yeah hopefully we can have some fun like true stories about all kinds of fun things who knows probably not crimes necessarily we've kind of i mean steven spielberg is a little off what we normally do so maybe the true stories are a little off what we usually do yeah. but, they'll, but maybe they'll be interesting maybe it should be, be fun. I had a blast doing this <laughs> <laughs> yeah me too so we'll return uh to spielberg at some point i guess that's it for jurassic park for now i barely got into my themes <laughs> but I, right. i'm almost embarrassed to, to do so but I, I mean you guys know what they are yeah you know, technology, uh, scary, scary stuff. Don't play God. 
all that stuff. Sex isn't bad. Right. All right. Well, thank you. All right. Don't forget to um, subscribe, rate, and review. Yes, please. And have a good night. All right. Bye. I'm tired and I want to go home. <laughs> wait, wait. How's it go? I'm tired. I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago. And, okay. I'm tired and I want to go home. No, wait. <laughs> same I'm tired I want to go to bed. <laughs> I'm tired and I want to go to bed. Right. I had a little drink about an hour ago and it went straight to yeah. my yeah, head. Yeah, but I don't think John Williams wrote that. <laughs> I know. I'm just kidding.